If you're going to clap, you better clap. Let's go. Come on. Well, at its very core, Christianity is not about climbing a sacred mountain or visiting a pilgrimage to a holy site or fulfilling some impossible feat or walking a path of enlightenment or becoming a spiritually elite person, being good, disciplined, or righteous enough to garner God's favor and acceptance. And how many are thankful that that is not true of Christianity? Because it'd be impossible. The context of our great Christmas Eve passage today describes the central confession of the true condition of humanity, both personally, individually, and collectively. Before we get to the hope of the passage, we've got to sit in the context. I'm so thankful that Kevin led us there because how many are grateful for a God that doesn't turn a blind eye to our brokenness, our heartache, the tragedies of life. He enters into them with us. This is what makes the good news really, really good. We're going to read the famous Isaiah 9 passage for to us a child. We're going to get there in a moment, but we're going to get there with a few minute overview. It says this in Isaiah 8, at the end of Isaiah 8, Distressed and hungry, they, my covenant people, will roam throughout the land. When they are famished, they'll become enraged. Looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. This passage describes the true reality of the human condition apart from responding to the gracious invitation of God. The human race is insatiably hungry on an endless quest for sustenance and satisfaction, for a place to lay their head at night to call home. But the scripture describes that instead of looking to God for all of those places that our human heart craves and longs for, we look within to ourselves. We look down. We look to see what man has to offer us. And we all know full well the toil of the soil, the strife between brothers and enmity in our families and the distress and the darkness that constantly get piped to us with a 24-7 news cycle. And what is worse is that though this is the true human condition, the condition that we find ourselves when Christ comes to us Instead of looking to him and our brokenness and barrenness, so often we depend on our own resources, perspectives, and intellect for guidance, trying to find a way out of the darkness. Now tell me this, if you are in darkness, how can you find the way out of it? Christmas is about God coming to us. Come on. Christmas is God coming to us. Contrary to every other religion and ideology built on human effort and attainment and performance, Christianity says, yes, Isaiah 8, we are in darkness. We are utterly unable to save ourselves or to act our way into the light. We have not followed the counsel of God. When we look around at the mess of humanity, we can't point the finger too long knowing we have contributed to its darkness and brokenness. Christianity says this is true of all people, that there is no solution, humanly speaking, 
It's like C.S. Lewis said in his great book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's always winter, but never Christmas. Isaiah 8 is the great context for the prophetic promise we're going to run into now. That apart from God acting, apart from God initiating the rescue operation, apart from God who is infinitely wise and good and gracious, apart from him stepping into our mess, we would have stayed in perpetual winter without Christmas. But, and this is a big but, that was supposed to be kind of a joke, but not, not really. <laughs> Pastor Ron, one of my spiritual fathers and mentors, always used to joke about doing a series called The Great Butts of the Bible. Bless his heart. But light has come to us, friends, in our darkness. God has come to us. Yes, it's distressing and there's hunger and there's longing and craving for purpose, meaning for satisfaction. And yes, we have failed to acknowledge the true source that can get us out of our mess. But God, even in spite of our resilient rebellion, he has sent forth his light into a world bound in darkness. It says this in Isaiah 9, but there will be, for those he just described, there will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. Come on, someone say amen. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked past tents in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a deep darkness on them, a light has shined. God's response, hallelujah, to our brokenness and despair and sin is not to deny it and say, oh, they'll figure it out on their own, nor is it to sweep it under a cosmic rug, making light of our sin, treason, and rebellion. Praise God we have a God who looks at the face of our darkness and he provides a solution by addressing it and then providing its remedy. He addresses the darkness by sending forth a creative word full of light and life and hope. He speaks, and then on the back end of his word, he shows up to perform the word which he sent. <laughs> now, Naphtali, why does this matter? For those of us who don't know our sort of modern-day map of the Middle East, Naphtali and Zebulun were the, the first places affected by the occupation of the Assyrian armies. The first people to taste what it felt like to be exiled from your home, from the place of security, safety, abundance, belonging. And what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, those who've experienced the first fruits of the darkness, I will let my light show up to them. These aren't just random names that the prophet wants to sound smart or cool. These were the people who lost all sense of hope and what the gospel says to us today. It's to those kind of people, people like you and me, in our gloom and darkness, he's turning it into glory. This is Christmas. If you flip over to the gospel, you'll see this is the passage Matthew quotes, Isaiah 9, 1 through 2, when Jesus starts his ministry. Very on purpose. It is here along the road that connects three continents literally in northwestern Israel, that the light of God's countenance and glory will dawn. Jesus is the hope for light. As a result of this light, what happens? Read this with me. 
You have multiplied the nation together and have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing the plunder. What happens when the delight dawns in the darkness? Help me out. I I made it all caps for you. What happens? Joy. One more time. Joy. When the light dawns, when we realize we can't get ourselves out of our darkness, we receive and respond to the light that God initiates, sustains, and sources perpetually, eternally. Joy is the result. See, the beloved, the, the, the reality is there's two fundamental fears of humanity. Will there be enough and will we survive? And what this promise of Isaiah 9-3 speaks to both of these principal fears of humanity. That there will be joy in the harvest and joy in the plunder. Now what does that have to do with anything? How many know harvest is a result of an act of nature? God sends the rain. He causes the sun to rise. Say amen. And how many know we serve a good God who provides for us in the natural Air in our lungs and intellect and ability to reason with our minds and strengthen our bones and food to eat. But it doesn't just say that we'll have joy at the harvest, we'll have joy in the plunder. This speaks of victory in the battle. You see that? And what God is saying to the prophet Isaiah when the light comes, right in the midst of the darkness, it won't just be a little joy, it will be joy to the full. Joy on blast. For the yoke of the burden, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Again, what do you think of when you think of yoke? Yoke represents slavery. How many remember the story of Israel where for 400 plus years they were enslaved by Egypt? But how many know God was faithful to raise up a deliverer then who served as a type and shadow, a forerunner for the ultimate deliverer that we celebrate at Christmas time. See, the promise is God will lift the yoke of slavery of sin. That's what this language of yoke of their burden in Isaiah 9-4. But not only that, there's a greater exodus that's coming. You see, the Bible says in Jeremiah 31 that though God was faithful to them, his people were not faithful back. So a greater covenant was coming, a greater exodus, a greater deliverance through the one the prophet will describe in a minute. And what is this language of Midian? Unless you're a Bible guru and you remember the story, Midian was the enemy that God raised up the mighty warrior Gideon hiding in a wine press to defeat God's peoples, God's enemies. And what Midian represents is, yes, you have a yoke of slavery, you're bound to sin and to yourself. And, but just like Midian, your deliverance will not be dependent upon your strength, but upon my glory and strength and power. So Midian represents a God who wins the battle through weakness. How many did God use in Gideon's story to defeat the 135,000? 300. This evokes the sense of we're meant to rely on God and trust that God will act as we trust in him. Our weakness and our frailty and the insurmountable odds against us to win the battle and to overthrow the enemy in no way determine the ultimate victory God has promised to accomplish through his son. 
It goes on. For all the boots of the trampling, tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel to the fire. This is poetic language declaring that the one who is coming, who will be the light, who will bring ultimate joy, he will definitively overflow our propensity to war. Who is this person that God intends to bring an end to war and to establish freedom on the earth? Who is he? Who is the one through whom God will bring his purposes to bear? Let's read this passage. Here's the famous Christmas passage. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests on his shoulders. All the boots for tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood from, and all of that will be burned as fuel for the fire. And God, your battle strategy is to send a kid? Has anyone ever stopped long enough to actually think about the claims of Christianity that through a little baby, God would overthrow the powers of darkness? Like, really, God, that's really the best you have? A child, a son? The beauty as this passage continues is that this son that God has given us, that all authority, say authority, will rest on his shoulders. And here's the word picture I want you to see. Our shoulders have been released from the burden of slavery because the child's shoulders will bear the royal authority of God's kingdom. And in God's kingdom, here are just three things, and there's way more. In God's kingdom, there is rescue from the enemy. Someone say rescue. There is freedom from slavery. Say freedom. And in God's kingdom, there is peace with God in yourself, wholeness, and with others. And the picture here is this, that all of us walk around with the yoke before we respond to that dawning light of the Lord's initiation and goodness. The Bible says all of us are yoked to things that bring us further and further away from God. This is why central to the call of Christianity, to the call of Christ, is to take his yoke. How many are thankful for the yoke that gives us rest? How many are thankful for the humble, gentle heart that we find ourselves yoked to named Jesus. That his yoke is easy and his burden is light or perfect and good. And when you think of rest, don't think Sunday afternoon naps, although that's probably a part of it, hallelujah. But rest evokes the sense of well-being. Come I mean, on, how many want to be well on the inside? It speaks of flourishing. It, it speaks of a sense of fulfillment. And here's what is amazing about the claims of Christianity and Christmas, that Jesus claims that these promises are all found by being in close relationship with him. Why would you want to be in relationship with him? This is the, the ultimate question. Read this with me. The son will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful counselor. Has anyone ever found themselves in a situation you did not have the solution for? There should have been a whole room full of amens. 
when you just couldn't think your way out of it, you couldn't strong arm your way out of it. Wonderful counselor in the original language speaks of a supernatural counselor. How many know that the decisions that a king makes will make or break the kingdom he rules over? The choices the one at the top makes will have filtered, you know, trickle-down effects on all of those who find themselves under his rulership. How many are thankful that the son that has been given and born has, is a wonderful counselor? He has supernatural, perfect wisdom, insight, and understanding in every situation you and I will ever face. This king, this child will be perfectly wise what, what else does it say? He's not just a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. Come on, Samuel. Because how many know it's easy to be an idea or ideal person, but if you don't have the strength and the might and the power to, to initiate and to bring to bear that which is wise, good, beautiful, right, and just, then you are only half awesome. <laughs> He's wonderful counselor. He's infinitely wise. He's brilliant. He's perfect in his understanding. But he's also the mighty God who can bring those perfect purposes to bear. He's not like a a politician who promises so much so that you'll vote for him. He is a perfect counselor who will enact what he promises. Oh, that's good. No empty promises. No empty promises. He's the mighty God. How many know one without the other is inadequate? You can have all the might in the world and cause so much harm because you're acting in the arm of flesh. Or you can have all the smarts in the world, but if you don't have the power to walk in what you know is right and true, it's still half a picture. How many know Jesus is the full picture? Everlasting Father. This speaks of care and concern. The faithful, living, and loving, consistent Father who will discipline us perfectly on time in the right spirit so that we can walk in his wise rule and counsel. We know that through Jesus, God ceases to be a far away, distant reality. And Jesus says, my father is your father and he's everlasting. And then my favorite one, the prince of peace. The prince of the full, whole, flourishing life. Ultimate fulfillment, freedom, identity, significance, and purpose. He's the prince of all of that. (laughs) He's the only perfectly whole, totally integrated, complete person to ever live on the earth. And he didn't do that so we could put a corner on the market. No, he did that so that what he walked in could become our reality by grace through faith in him. Under his wise mighty, everlasting rule, you and I can be whole and complete. And the ultimate question is, who in their right mind would not want this? We are the most civil, you know, advanced, money, affluent, I just read a book on depression, anxiety, and the most medicated. We are more depressed and anxious, and that, I have struggled with that since I was a teen. I'm not downplaying that. I'm just saying, There is an offer from the Lord to walk in fullness and flourishing and wholeness, and it will not be found within. It's only when we respond to the light that has come to us. To the wise, mighty, fatherly, perfect peace, the ruling and authority that rests upon the shoulders of the Son, Jesus. 
And that doesn't mean it comes with a zap. Come on, how many know life is a journey? I'm supposed to take my yoke upon his yoke on me. And how long do I walk in that yoke? Just when all my needs are met and I'm good? No, it is a journey learning how to live in light of Jesus. Perpetually and for all eternity. And then here's the end of the verse and we're done. I love it. Read it together with me. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Unlike every other temporary kingdom where peace is the product of strength, domination, coercion, this government of peace is built on the self-emptying, sacrificial love of King Jesus who lays down his life for his enemies. You can't fight darkness with darkness. He allowed darkness to have its best swing at him after it drained itself of its power. The Father raised and vindicated this royal son for all eternity. Unlike every other kingdom, and this is why his kingdom is eternal, it did not, it was not initiated, it was not It did not break into the earth the way conventional kingdoms break onto the scene. Remember, he's the infinitely wise counselor and father. And Jesus promised us that, according to this verse, his kingdom would be like mustard seed. Yeah, it may look small. Yeah, our neighbors may still have tragedy. Yeah, the wars and all, the endless news cycle. But Jesus said, my kingdom will prevail in the end. He meets us right here in the middle between the promise and its perfect fulfillment. And I love, this is the last point, that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What do you think of, what was God's burning motivation of all that we've described so far? The jealous love of God. Why would God rescue the slaves? Why would God bring, bring victory through weakness? Why would God give us a wonderful counselor, an amazing father, a prince that's full of peace? He does this because of his zeal, which is a deep, fiery reality burning in the heart of God. I love you so much. I'm just dead set on giving you life in me. And all of this zeal is wrapped up in a little baby. <laughs> A child is born. He's given to us. Wow. How can a little human, born of the virgin, how can he carry all that I just said in 20 minutes, this great prophetic promise? All of this is wrapped up in Jesus and comes to us through Jesus. So the ultimate questions, and these are rapid-fire questions. How can I trade my gloom, distress, and despair for his glory today? How can I finally experience the flourishing and wholeness and that huge amount of joy he promised in verse 3? How can my darkness and depression begin to turn to light? How can I overcome the fear of scarcity and survival? How can I experience freedom from sin and the enslaving habits that I so try to kick but don't have power to get rid of myself? 
Let's get a little more true. What do I do when all I feel is weakness, inadequacy, and brokenness, and how can I experience the supernatural counsel, strength, fatherly love, and peace for which my soul craves? How can I experience the abundant life Jesus promised? Are those good questions or, or throwaways? How? How can all of these promises become true of our lives today? Like I said at the very beginning of the talk, Christianity is not so much about us getting to God, but the truth that God has come to us in Christ. It's great. This is the best real estate we could camp and end on. In him was life, Jesus. That life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. And we all said amen. The true light that gives light to everyone. To who? was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him because he didn't come like every other king and kingdom in human history. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But yet, read verse 12 with me, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Chad, how can I go on a journey where my gloom, distress, and despair can be turned into glory for God? How can I experience wholeness and purpose and fulfillment in the midst of my brokenness and shame? How can my darkness turn to light? How can I overcome my perpetual fear that there'll never be enough and that I have to take care of myself or no one else will? The beautiful answer of Jesus and the good news of Christmas and every season is open your heart and let the light in. Open your heart. Is it that simple? Yes. Is it easy? No. It's a journey learning to be yoked to him, learning to live a fundamentally new life through his strength, grace, and power. This is the great glory of Christianity. It's called grace, where you and I receive the sheer gift of God's goodness and love based solely on who he is. Everyone say, who he is. What he has done and what he will accomplish on my behalf. His grace, truth, love, beauty, and abundance all find themselves wrapped up in God's Son. And when you and I receive God's provision through his son, you and I find ourselves becoming an adopted sibling of Jesus. <laughs> so that, all, and again, his rule is not like every other ruler. where He gets the power and keeps it. He wins the battle and says, share in the spoils of my victory. Share in the goodness of my kingdom, of my reign, of my rule, of my reality. This is how good Jesus is. How many are thankful for the good news of Christmas? Read this with me. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. 
God wants to shine the light of his son, not just randomly, but right into our hearts today. He wants that land of Naphtali and Zebulun, that land that's been exiled that Kevin didn't even know I was teaching on. He wants the, the light of his love and his countenance to break into that place. For this, your sake, for the sake of your family, he wants to fill and flood your life with his healing love and light. If you open up. Come on, let's stand to our feet. and invite the team to come back up and the ushers to take their place. This is more than just a cute end to Christmas Eve service. This prophetic act of someone else lighting your candle. Come on, someone say amen to that truth. That none of us light this light. None of us work ourselves up to get ourselves out of darkness. We are dependent upon another, and that other is Jesus Christ. And the Bible promises that if you're in Christ, you are a brand new creation. Christmas is not about us striving, trying to get to God. It's about God coming to us through his son, Jesus. And Jesus says, forsake your darkness and receive my healing love. So I just want to give you a chance to do that right now. Just open up your heart and say, Lord, I need a, you don't have to say this out loud, but I need a wonderful counselor. I need a mighty God. I need an everlasting father. I certainly need a prince of peace. I admit, Lord, I'm just groping in the darkness without your initiation, without your light coming to me. I'm hopeless and helpless, but you have come. You are the son upon whose shoulders God's great and unending kingdom rests. And Lord, you've invited all into your kingdom through faith in Jesus. So Lord, in this room, I pray that faith would be released to simply receive the goodness of God revealed through Christ. In Jesus' name. Oh
said I am the light of the world whoever follows me say that with me whoever follows me Christmas is not a time for just a one head nod oh cool he's the light thank you take care of my darkness I'm good it's an invitation to a lifelong quest to follow the one who is the light the one who doesn't just set you free he keeps you free as you continue to submit to his yoke which is his teaching and his lifestyle So, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that those who follow you will never walk in darkness, but will have promise the light of light. And here's the end. As we respond and receive this light, and I trust some of you have this this afternoon. Chad, was I spiritual enough? No, if you're thinking that route, you probably are definitely spiritual enough. It's just a gift he wants to receive. Imagine tomorrow one of your kids or grandkids getting the gift that you wanted to give them, and they're like, Dad, did I do enough to earn this? Did my chore chart meet up to your expectation? Well, no and no. Um, (laughs) Can we talk? No. But I'm your dad, and I want to give you a gift. And our Father in heaven, through his son Jesus, says, just open up your heart. Let the light flood in. And then learn to follow my leadership, not just in this place, but every day. I'll be faithful to lead you through life's many, many ups and downs. But even the darkness will be filled with the light of my life. And here, look at the picture. See how it's dark? Obviously, the Bible says that the church, God's people, they're called the light of the world. We're meant to light up our families, light up our neighborhoods, light up our workplaces, light up our friendships with this healing love and light of Jesus. Amen. And as the darkness seems to get darker, and you and I continue to respond to the leadership of Jesus, the darkness will not overcome the light. God says his people are going to become like a city set on a hill. (laughs) whose light 
shines, whose light shows the way to others who are stuck in darkness, I know the way. And it ain't me, it's him. And he came all the way to me and to you so that that could become our reality. So God, flood us with light this season. God, meet us in that place where we are so desperate for you. Thank you that as we follow you, we will never walk alone. You are the light of life, Jesus, and we receive your life today. In Christ's name, we all said amen. Amen. Amen.